2 Samuel chapter 11 tells of the, the fall of David. And last week, uh, we went through uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24, where we see David pass the test when he is able to confront Saul one-on-one -on -one and kill Saul, get rid of him, get him out of the picture, murder him so that he can step up to the throne. And we see him pass the test and said, no, this is not my job to do. God is in control. God is going to take care of this situation. God has promised me the throne, but it's not for me to take it by force. It's not for me to take it by violence. The Lord is going to take care of this and, and, and get it all under control. And here we have in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David again is, is faced with a challenge, a, a test if you will. And, and this time the, the result is, is a great fall. A great fall. Actually, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is a, a pivotal portion of this, this book of the Bible, a pivotal point in David's reign as king. And 2 Samuel chapter 11 says this. This is a long passage, so bear with me, but here, read it with me here. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbath, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around the, <coughs> the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. David sent orders to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and, and how the war was going. Then he said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and, and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. When it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home. David questioned Uriah, haven't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go home? Uriah answered David, the ark Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live, and by your life, I will not do this. Stay here today also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited Uriah to, to eat and drink with him, and David got him drunk. He went out uh, in the evening to lie down on his couch with his master's servants, but he did not go home. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw with him so that he is struck down and dies. When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab, and some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle, and Uriah the Hittite also died. Joab sent someone to report to David all the details of the battle. He commanded the messenger, When you finish telling the king of all the details of the battle, if the king's anger gets stirred up and he asks you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you realize they would shoot from the top of the wall? At Thebes, who, who struck Abimelech, uh, didn't a woman drop on him uh, an upper millstone uh, from the top of the wall so that he died? Why did you get so close to the wall? Then he said, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then the messenger left. 
When he arrived, he reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. And the messenger reported to David, The men gathered, gained the advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we counterattacked right up to the entrance of the city gate. However, the archers shot down on your servants from the top of the wall, and some of your king's servants died. Your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, don't let this matter upset you, because the sword devours all alike. Intensify the fight against the city and demolish it, he encouraged him. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah had died, she mourned for him. When the time of mourning ended, David had her brought into his house. She became his wife and bore a son. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Like I said, this is a, a pivotal point in, in David's reign, reign as king. He, he has proven himself over and over again. The scriptures say that David was a, a man after God's own heart. And, and so as he was king and as he takes the throne, he, he's, he's, he's given another test. Another temptation comes his way. And, and we saw last week that, yes, he, he, he had the temptation put right before him to, to take out Saul so that he could rise and, and be the, the rightful king and... and, and um, fulfill God's promises himself. And, and he, he, he backed away and said, no, 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 this is not for me. God has made me a promise. God is going to fulfill his promise. And here we have David uh, in the middle. He, he, he's, he's reigning now. He's reigning as king. And he faces another challenge, another temptation. And, and what we see in this passage is really interesting. It's really interesting. For one of the first things we notice here in, in chapter 11, verse 1, is that David is not where he's supposed to be. David is not doing what he is supposed to be doing as king. It says that in the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab and his officers in all of Israel, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabeth. But David remained in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, is, is the safe spot. It's the place of comfort. It's the place of security for him. All right, It's his capital city. It, it's, it's his domain. He's the, the king and the Lord of it all as he sits there in his palace. And, and this was the time of year when, when the kings would naturally go out to battle, uh, to fight the enemies, to fight those, to, to protect their property and their territory, uh, to shore up the borders of their nation. And here we find David, instead of out with his men where he should have been as king, leading the charge, we find him safely tucked away in the palace. In fact, we find that, that Joab is, is winning the battles for him. And later on, uh, a, verse, a few verses later, after this section of Scripture, we're, we're going to see Joab come to David and say, David, we've, we've got this, the, this city. We, we're besieging the city. We, we've got the, the enemy on the run. We're, we're about to, we're about to uh, launch the, the final crushing blow. You better get out here or else I'm the one who's going to get the honor, and, and you are not. But you are the king. You deserve the honor. And so we see here that even Joab says, no, no, king, you're supposed to be out here in the battlefield. We're about to win the war. We're about to defeat this enemy, and you as the king are supposed to be leading the charge. And here we find David. He is not where he's supposed to be. He is resting in comfort and, and luxury while his men are out there fighting the battles for him. And so he is not where he's supposed to be. And this is where we find he falls and he, he, he experiences the temptation. He experiences great temptation. One evening, it says in verse 2, David got up from his bed and strolled around 
uh, on the roof of his palace. This, this term strolled around means he's got nowhere to go. He's got nothing to do. And he is just meandering around doing nothing, absolutely nothing, letting his mind wander as he's out there on the rooftop. Now, uh, the rooftops were important uh, in that culture. A flat roof, uh, and 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 they would experience intense heat during the day, and so he is he has just been resting during the hottest part of the day, uh, keeping it cool inside, and then he he takes advantage of the, the cooler air, the, the the cooler temperature, and he, he takes advantage of the rooftop, goes out on the rooftop, and and kind of looks over his domain, looks over his domain, and and lo and behold, someone else is is on a rooftop. Uh, enjoying the same cool weather and it's this woman Bathsheba and she's up there bathing taking advantage of the cool temperatures bathing uh, up there and uh, apparently uh, uh, she was uh, doing some ritual cleaning after uh, her time of of the month and so we find David looking down on this beautiful woman and the Bible uses this term a very beautiful woman think supermodel okay think think magazine think magazines that you see on the the grocery store rack or or whatever the the popular magazines of the day this uh, this this woman is beautiful she is beautiful and she catches David's eye and he is snared into the temptation he's snared into he's brought in uh, pulled in by the temptation and he calls her over. He gets his servants to, to call her. Hey, bring her to the castle. Bring her to the palace. All right, I want to see this woman. Isn't this Bathsheba? Isn't she the, the wife of Uriah? He knows exactly who she is. He knows exactly who she is. Bring her to me. Bring her to me. Uh, and, and then when she comes, uh, he takes advantage of the situation. He takes advantage of her. Pivotal moment in David's life pivotal moment uh, in, in uh, his reign as king. And here we saw last week where uh, he was faithful to the Lord and he was able to, to overcome the challenges um, that, that were right in front of him. But here we see that, that there's something in his heart. There's something in his heart. Even though he was able to, to overcome the challenges in the past, there's something in his heart. Uh, he is drawn to this temptation of, of lust. He is drawn to this temptation of, of coveting other, other women. Now, when he became king, he would have inherited the, the previous king's uh, uh, harem and family. All right, and we're gonna see this later on when he's challenged. It's gonna be pointed out that, that you've been given everything. You've been, when you became king, you were, you've been given everything that you, that you could possibly want. Uh, in fact, the Lord's going to tell him that you've been given everything. And you know what? If, if that wouldn't have been enough, I would be willing to give you more. But here you go, David, you, 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 you go and you take. This is an, an act of, of theft. You go and you steal another man's wife. So not only has he broken the commandment of of adultery. He, he's broken the commandment not to steal, uh, not, not to covet uh, another man's wife. Uh, we're going to see him break another command as well. What happens is Bathsheba goes back home and uh, the text, the way it reads that because she was purifying herself, it's, it's implied that you know she was not pregnant before she went and uh, had her encounter with David. But after that, she goes back home and she finds out she's pregnant. She's expecting a child and she gets a little freaked out. 
she gets a little frantic and she calls back to David and says, I am pregnant. I am expecting a child. And what does David do? What does David do? David is going to hide himself in the shadows. David is going to try to, to, to shift. He's going to try to cover his own sin uh, with, with some, some pretty serious actions here. The first thing he does is he knows whose wife this is. Uriah the Hittite, one of his mighty men, one of the men who, who serves under him, one of the guys who would lay his life down for the king. And he calls him and he says to his general, hey, send me Uriah. Send, he, I know he's out on the battlefield. I know he's fighting for you. Send me Uriah. And Uriah comes to David. And what does David do? Uh, this, is, this is absolutely amazing. David opens up the conversation with Uriah and says, hey, how's the battle going? How are things going out there on, on the battlefield? How, how is Joab and the troops, how are, how are, they, how are they doing out there? Uh, what do you think of the battle? What do you think of the progress? What do you think about what's going on out there? He says, tell you what, tell you what, you, you're, you're home from battle. I brought you home from battle. I've got the report from you. Tell you what, now you just go home and you go rest, okay? Go down to your house and wash your feet. And that, that was uh, meaning, hey, you go, you go rest. You go take full advantage of, uh, uh, of everything that, that you have at home. He's thinking, yeah, you go and you go sleep with your wife, all right? And this, you go sleep with your wife, then you're going to go back to the battle. And your wife's going to be pregnant, and it's going to be yours, and we're going to move on, and everything's going to be really nice and tidy, and we're going to tie this up really nice and tidy. Go down to your house. But Uriah says that Uriah left the palace, and, and, put it, and a gift from the king goes with him. It doesn't tell us what the gift is, but a gift from the king goes with him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master servants, and he could, did not go down to his house. Uriah um, does not follow through on what David is asking him to do. Go enjoy the benefits of your home, Uriah. You, you deserve it. You know, go home. You deserve that. And Uriah says, no, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to, my, my place is by the other servants, my, my master's other servants. And I'm going to go wait with them as I am in town here. When it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home. David questioned Uriah, haven't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go home? This is what I want to do. This is what every single man on the, the battlefield wants to do is, is just go home. And Uriah says, the ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live, and by your life, I will not do this. What we have here is we have a king, God's representative amongst the people. God's, God's man to, to, to rule and to, to judge and to... Um, promote the law, to, to, to be the one who is an example of it, one that, that to live under the law. God's king, David, God's king, with all the rights and responsibilities, a, a true uh, Hebrew, a, a true Israelite, and the, the, the man at the, the top of the totem pole, the one who represents the whole nation, the, the one who uh, is going to have the, the promise of the Messiah to come from his line. This true Israelite, this true Hebrew it, it, is, is breaking the commandments right and left. Breaking his commandments right and left, not following the law, straying from God's law. <laughs> Excuse me, here you have Uriah, a Hittite. He's a foreigner. He, he's a foreigner who, he, he's, he's a, kind of like an exile. 
but he's a foreigner who is who is uh, is by David's side, one of David's trusted men, but a foreigner no less, but one who has pledged himself to the Lord. And here you have this foreigner who who is saying, you know what? The art, God's presence, all right, God's presence. Uh, the, all of Israel, they're all living in tents because, because we're going uh, into the battle, because we're taking part in this war with, with our enemies. We're trying to, to purge this nation of our enemies. Uh, God's presence, his people, the leaders, the generals, the troops, they're all living in tents on the battlefield. Why in the world should I enjoy the benefits of my home? So here you have this contrast of, of a Hebrew of Hebrews breaking the law, hiding, cowering, trying to do everything that he can to, to clean up his mess. And Uriah comes in as a foreigner and, and is acting rightly and justly before the Lord. See, what would happen here is, and we, we see this earlier on in 1 Samuel, when, when David's out with his mighty men and they're, they're on the run and, and, and they go, um, uh, they're, they're in a town and, and David makes a comment that uh, before some priests, the priests are asking him, hey, are, are your men clean? You, you want to be blessed in your battle, but, but are your men pure and clean? Are your, are your men focused on the task? And David says, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have not been with women. I do not allow my men to be with women. And this was a common practice during the day that, yeah, you go out to war and, and you forsake, you put aside all distractions. It's like a fighter, a, a boxer or a fighter who's going to the ring and they put away all distractions, all right? They, they've not... Um, they, they've not been with a woman. They, they've not enjoyed um, the choicest foods and things like that, the things that would be distractions, the things that would pull their, their hearts away from the job and the tasks that they have to do. David says, my men are pure before the priests. And so this was a common practice that you're going off to war and, and your army, your men, they separate themselves from the distraction. And David invites Uriah back and says, hey, tell you what, I, I want go go ahead, just go enjoy. And Uriah says, no, no, no. No, this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. By your life, King, I, I am so dedicated to serving you and to serving your cause and to, to be a part of, of, of this kingdom and, and part of um, what God is doing here that, you know what, I'm going to follow the rules. I feel so strong that I am going to follow the rules and follow my commitment as a soldier for you. As surely as you live, King, as surely as you live by your life, I will not do this. By your life, I will not do this. And so David says, okay. All right. Attempt number one. I, I can't get this guy to go home. I, I don't understand why. Uh, I wanted to be with his wife. Why would he not want to be with his wife? I can't get this guy to go home. Attempt number one to, to cover up my sin. Okay, check that off. That did not work. So, okay, plan B. We got a plan B here. And he takes Uriah home. He says, hey, stay here for a little bit longer. Hey, come have dinner with me. Come, come over to the palace and have, have dinner with me tonight. And, and Uriah comes over and David intentionally gets him drunk and says, you know what? This guy's going to be drunk. He's not going to know what's going on. And he's, his mind is going to be wandering and all over the place. And you know what? He's just going to stumble home. And uh, he's going to take advantage of this time with his wife. And he's, he's not going to know a thing. He's not going to remember a thing. And then whew, we will have everything taken care of. But even in that state, even, even after David led him into the state of, of drunkenness, Uriah, being the man that he was, he returns back to the servants' quarters and, and, and sleeps in the servants' quarters. And David is at his wit's end. He does not know, okay, what in the world? I, I can't do anything 
to, to tempt this guy to walk down this path. David himself being tempted to walk down the path uh, of, of a, adultery and, and sin. And he says, I can't do anything to, to tempt him to walk down this path. What in the world am I going to do? And so the next day, it says on verse 14, the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. Okay, he's got, he's got a letter to his, his head general. And he sent it with Uriah. Now, as we read what's in the letter, pause on that. He sent it with Uriah. This, this letter is, is going in Uriah's hand. Okay? Uriah is, is headed back to the battlefield. David's like, yeah, you, you go back to the battlefield. Go back to the battlefield. And by the way, I've got a letter. Can you deliver this letter to, to General Joab? Can you go ahead and do that for me? Oh, yeah. Being a good soldier, he's going to be all over that. In the letter, David wrote, Put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting. Then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab, and, and some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. All right, plan, plan A. Our first attempt, you know, Uriah's not biting. He's not going home. He won't, he, won't, he won't leave the servant's quarters. Okay, what can I do? I'm going to get him drunk. I'm going get to him, get him distracted. I'm going to bring in distraction. I'm, I'm going to get him to, to stumble around and, and kind of, uh, you know, let him lose a little control here. And, and he's going to go home and, and he's going he's gonna to be with his wife. Okay, that didn't work. Now, you know, the only thing left I can do is I got to kill this guy. I've got to get rid of this guy. And he sends a letter with Uriah, his death sentence in his hand to Joab and says, put this guy at the front line and when things go bad, you pull back and you leave him there and he will be struck down. David does everything in his power to to hide his sin. David does everything to the best of his ability to, to hide to hide what's going on in his heart. See, this is, this is a heart issue. David, we know that David can pass the test. We know that David can step away from violence. But there's something in his heart that, that is still there. there there's some, um, something that's not been resolved. Something that, that he has not given up to the Lord and he falls into this trap, into the temptation of, of lust and adultery, which leads him to, to murder. Now, David did not kill Uriah, but David killed Uriah. And this is where we see Jesus saying later on, the Messiah, the one that comes from David's line in, in Matthew chapter 5, and he, he says, hey, if there's anger in your heart, if there's anger in your heart, you've already killed your brother. And there was anger in David's heart. David had anger in his heart that, that Uriah, that he had messed up, that, that he had totally messed up and Uriah was not there to help him solve that problem. He had anger towards this brother, this, this fellow soldier, this, this, this one who was, who was loyal to David's cause. He has anger in his heart towards him. And Jesus says that if you harbor anger in your heart, it's like you, you're, you're, murdering, you're murdering your brothers and sisters. And Jesus says also in Matthew chapter 5 that if there is, is lust in your heart, then you are already committing adultery. Well, David had gone all the way with that. He had taken full advantage of Bathsheba and her situation and gone all the way 
uh, with, with that. Um, and Jesus says, when, when that's in your heart, you've already broken the commands. You, you've already messed up. You've already messed up. You've already committed the sin. And here we have David who thinks he can get away with this because, hey, I'm not the one who's going to kill him. This is battle. This is war, man. You know what? We, we go up against the enemies and, you know, th- people die. Things happen. It, Joab gets so worried. And it's interesting. Joab is one of David's trusted advisors. And, and Joab feels the need to help cover up uh, Uriah's deaths. He, he knows what this means. When David says, hey, you know what? Send him out there and then pull back. Let him be out there alone. Joab knows what that means. And what Joab does is Joab takes his army up there and some other men die with Uriah. It's almost as if Joab himself is is covering up the act of the king, uh, needing to cover up what his master has done. And he says he says to his messenger, hey, tell David this is done. Tell David this is done. You know, it, we, we came against the wall um, and... and Men were killed. We lost men in battle. And oh, by the way, Uriah was killed as well. So the deed is done. But, you know, he may get angry at this. David may get angry at this because other men died. That's not what he said to do. But, but other men died in the process, in this battle. And so make sure that, that you tell him that, oh, Uriah is gone. Uriah is gone. And the messenger goes and, and relays that, that message. And instead of David reacting in anger like Joab had thought he would. He basically, you know what? This is war. Things happen. People die. Don't worry yourself about it. Because at this point in time, David's thinking, you know what? Okay, Uriah's gone. Taking care of the problem. Um, I didn't have to kill him. He went out to war. Okay, I can rest. I can find peace of mind. Joab, you can find peace of mind as well. Don't worry, okay? And he tells the messenger, go back and encourage Joab. Go back and encourage Joab. And what happens is David continues to, to try to cover and, and, and hide and conceal that, that the sin uh, that is in his heart. And Uriah hears that, or Uriah's wife, Bathsheba hears that Uriah has died and she mourns for him. And when the time of mourning ended, David had her brought into his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. However, however, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. See, the Lord sees the heart. This is a total heart issue for David. David uh, is... um, has a temptation laid out before him or, or stumbles into a temptation that, that he has not guarded himself against. You know, he's, he's up on the roof. He's meandering around. He is not where he's supposed to be. He is not um, doing what he is supposed to be doing. He's letting his, his head wander. He's letting his heart wander. He's letting his, his, his full self wander around this roof. And he, and he falls into the temptation that, it, that is uh, that, that, uh, this heart issue. He stumbles and his heart is revealed, but the Lord sees the heart. The Lord sees the heart. Three times David tries to cover this up. Three times David tries to to keep this hidden. All right, This is so like us, is it not? When when something goes wrong, when when we've stumbled or we've made a mistake or we've fallen into a a serious sin, what is our first response? Okay, what do I fix? How do I fix this? How do I cover this up? How do, how do I make sure that no one else finds out about this mistake? All right. David tries to do this three different times. 
each one escalating, each one escalating. Uh, and, uh, and finally he has to kill the guy who is, who is standing in his way, the, the one who would expose his sin he has to get rid of. And, and David three times tries to cover this up. What's interesting is David did, did his best to keep this secret, to keep this just totally uh, wrapped within his heart. No one else needs to know about this. Uh, you know what? I know about this. Bathsheba knows about this. She's not telling anyone. You know, my messenger, my, my, my little crew in the palace who I told to go get Bathsheba, uh, they may know, but, but they're going to be pretty loyal to me. This, this does not leave this inner circle. This is not going to leave this inner circle. But what happens here? The Lord knows, and, and this Second Samuel is a, is a book about David's character. And this, this is a pivotal moment in his time as king, revealing his character, revealing the things that he struggles with. And even though David tries his hardest to, to keep this thing hidden, this becomes a, a major section of scripture that, that is saved for history. God knows the heart. God knows the heart, and in the next chapter, in chapter 12, we see the prophet come to David, and he says, hey, David, God sent me to, to, uh, to talk to you. Hey, there's, there's this matter out there that it needs your judgment, all right? There's, there's this rich guy, and he's got fields full of sheep. There's this poor man, and he had one young lamb. To his name. He had nothing else. He had one young lamb, and this lamb was, was part of his family. And Nathan says, tell you what happened. This is what happened. This, this rich guy, he had so much um, property, and he was so prosperous. He had so much privilege in life, and he had some friends come over, and, and he was going to throw a banquet for them. But instead of taking out of what he had, instead of taking out of the blessings that the, the Lord had given him, all right, what, what the Lord had provided for him. He goes to his neighbor, this poor man, and takes the, that lamb and, and uh, sacrifices it and roasts it and, and gives it to his guests at the feast. And, and David's response to this is just of utter outrage. Now, to take someone's property in this manner, the, the, the law basically said, hey, you just get, you're going to compensate them. You're going to compensate them for this. But David goes above and beyond in his judgment. He says, man, this guy is, is evil. This guy is so out of line. This rich man is, is, uh, is taking advantage of the poor. This is out of line. This is against God's law. He deserves to die. And David casts a, a judgment of death on him. David casts a judgment of, of death on this man who has taken a lamb and, and, and says, who is this guy? Basically, who is this guy? Let me at him. Tell you what, he, he deserves to die, and he's going to have to give four times back. Not only is he going to die, but he's going to give four times back to this man what he had stolen, what he had taken. And, and Nathan steps up to him and says, David, you are the man. You are this man that God has, has given you so much. God has given you this kingdom and, and all the, the, the privileges and honors and, and property and, and respect and everything that, that, that is due a king. God has given you above and beyond. In fact, God would have given you more had you asked. If you would just ask God, he would have, he would have laid out the world for you. But what have you done? You've gone you've, and, and you have all of these wives. You have all of this family, and you had to go and take this poor man's wife. This poor man's wife. You are the man. And after confronting David, after Nathan confronts David, 
with with his sin and says, you know what, David, this is this is out there. God knows. We know. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. It's interesting as during this time, David tries to hide this sin. David should know that he can't hide sin from God. But he does. He, he, he tries what we all do to, to hide the sin, to, to keep it trapped within his heart, not to deal with the issue, not to let God deal with the issue. And, and during this time, he, he's called out on it. And, and I, I'm sure that during this time before Nathaniel came to him, before Nathan came to him, that, that he was struggling, that he was burdened, that he was weighed down by what he had done. His response to the man who, who stole the lamb it exposes his outrage and his anger in the burden that he's carrying. He, he's projecting on to that man what he himself is, is feeling he deserves. And Nathan calls him out on it and says, you are the man. And, and, and David has to, to, to fall to his knees, fall his face on the ground before God and says, I have sinned before you, Lord. During this time when, when he's called out on this sin, we, we see in 2 Samuel that he says, hey, I've sinned against you, Lord. But we see in, in Psalm 51, David's full repentance before the Lord. David wrote Psalm 51 after he had been confronted by, by Nathan and after his sin had been exposed. And he says this, bear with me, he says this here. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, my, my rebellion completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion. Lord, I know who you are and I know what I've done. I know who you are and I know what I've done. My sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I've done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. I can't blame you, God, for whatever judgment, whatever you're going to bring into my life because of this. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Lord, I know that you want inner purity. I know that the outward stuff, that, that, that doesn't please you. when We have, we have a good outward appearance, but, but our, our insides are, are filthy, like rags. Lord, I need you to, to, to give me that clean heart. He's going to say later on in verse 10, God created me a clean heart. Created me a clean heart. Give me a new heart. Not, not, just, not just clean up. The, the language isn't about just cleaning up what's, what's there and dirty in this, this current heart. It's about, Lord, give me a, a new heart. Give me a new heart. Renew a, a steadfast spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. And we see, we see Saul, when, when Saul disobeys the Lord's commands and goes against what, what God has planned and, 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 and does his own thing, we see that Saul casts blame and he pushes blame and, and uh, uh, he, he does not have a repentant heart. And here we see David uh, moving in the opposite direction and, and uh, says, Lord, Lord, 
it is me. I've done this. It's my fault. I know I'm wrong, but Lord, I know who you are. Please, Lord, restore to me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and the sinners will return to you. This, this will not go um, unused. This, this, will, this will not be, stay hidden, Lord. I, I will use this opportunity to, to teach others about who you are and what it means to be forgiven, what it means to come in, in, into true repentance to, um, to you, and what it means to, to experience your forgiveness. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. He knows, David knows that there is not a, a, a sacrifice or law that will cover up adultery or murder. That the penalty for adultery and murder, uh, according to the law, according to God's law during that time, the law that the nation was living under, the, the penalty for adultery and murder was death. It was simple as that. It was death. All right, someone was going to experience death because of this. And David says, save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. Save me from my guilt. I know you do not want sacrifices, or I would give it. If there was a sacrifice to give, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. A sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit, and here I am, God, broken before you. See, even though David was a man just like us, was a human being just like us, and even though he fell into the trap of sin just like us, David knew what it meant to repent and to turn his face back to God, to ask forgiveness, to say, God, I know I messed up. And in this case, God, I know I royally screwed up. I am the king. I am responsible for these people. And I took one of these people and took advantage of them. And, and, I, and, and, and there were serious consequences to that. In fact, people have died because of my actions. People have died because of my actions. Because I, I never dealt with this heart issue that, that was inside of me. Lord, I never let you deal with this. this a murderous heart. A, a lustful heart. I never let you deal with this. But here I am, Lord, bowing my head to you in, in full repentance. And Nathan says, well, because of this, that you will not die. God has promised that your line would continue your line would continue. You will not die. But, but because of this, because of the sin, and because death was required under the law, Nathan comes to him with the grim news of the son born to you will die. See, there are consequences to our sin. There are consequences when, when we, we, we choose our own desires and our own passions, the, the passions of our, our flesh. There are consequences that come with that. Yes, there, there is full and free forgiveness that comes from the Lord, but, but David understands this and, and experiences that, yeah, because of sin, there are consequences. Now, David had some real heart issues to deal with, and David goes to God and, and deals with them. There are heart issues that we struggle with today. We, we are not immune for the, from this. We, we are not uh, any different than David. Some of you today, some of us today may struggle with the same things that David was actually struggling with in this section of Scripture. Lust of the heart, uh, coveting, um, uh, murderous heart. But there are other heart issues that we may be struggling with today. Greed, dishonesty, um, wanting to walk our own way, uh, cheating, 
whatever it may be, that we all struggle with a heart issue. And the question for the day is, what are we going to do with that? How do we respond to that? Do we, do we continue to walk along and, and try to cover it up, try to, to, try to hide the sin? Or do we let that be exposed before God and say, God, you, I know you know what's going on. I know you know what's in my heart. God, I, I know that, that, that you see all. And, and Lord, I know that when I'm walking away from you, walking down my own path, trying to do my, my own thing, that, uh, that it displeases you because I'm not living the holy life that, that you had offered for me. And David knows what he's done. He knows his heart, and he knows what it means to go before a God and repent. God, God is a God of forgiveness. Our God is a God of redemption. And just like David, we can go to our God and say, Lord, I know I've messed up. I, I know I, I've, I've walked down this wrong path, and Lord, I know that I need your forgiveness. Can you please help me? David knew the joy of, of being forgiven. We, we see also in Psalm 32 that he understood what it meant to be forgiven. And he writes this after this experience. He says, How joyful is the one whose transgressions is for, are forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the person who the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is it, there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my, mo my bones became brittle, my groanings for my groanings all day long. To keep this thing hidden was a burden to me. It was a burden to me. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My, my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When the great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instru instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Do not be like the horse or the mule without understanding. That must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near to you. Many pains come to the wicked. Many pains come to those who, who, who do not trust in the Lord. But the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Your righteous ones shout for joy, all you with an upright heart. David knew that there was joy in forgiveness. There was joy to be found in forgiveness. David knew that keeping his sin a secret would become a, a, a burden to him. It would be an unbearable burden to, to carry. And he, and he says this in the Psalms. The, my, my bones become brittle because of the weight of this sin that I'm carrying in my heart. And he also knew that when he went to the Lord, the Lord would offer him forgiveness. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not conceal it. I will, tr I will confess my tr transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my heart. David knew that to continue in sin, he would experience great pain. But he knew the joy of forgiveness that came through the Lord. Do you know that joy? Have you experienced the, the joy that, that comes from having a right relationship with the Lord? See, see, we, we sometimes see God as this, this great big judge out there, and, and God is our judge. 
God has, he is the judge because he has set the standard. He says, this is, this is how I created you. This is what I've created you for. I, I've created you to, to live a holy life, to be in relationship with me. But, but, but sin is this thing that gets in the way of that. Sin is this thing that, that tears you down, that brings you down. Sin is the, th- is the thing that, that brings a burden on your life, that puts a, a burden, a, a strain, and a stress on your life. And, and I don't want you to experience that. But when you do, that, that sin separates you from me. That sin separates you from me, but that's not the plan. That's not the goal. That's not my desire, God says. My desire is to be in relationship with you. David, David, I want to be in relationship with you. And David, David sees this, and he hears this, and he comes and says, Yes, Lord, I have sinned. I have sinned against your name. I have I've done what was right in my own eyes. I, I've taken, I, I've stumbled into the temptation that, that walked uh, that walked right before me, and I, I stumbled right into it, and, and things happened. People got hurt. Uh, people died because of this. And Lord, I am so sorry for what I have done. I, I come in full repentance, and Lord, I, I trust and and and, and I, I understand that. That you are a forgiving God, and I also understand that we have to walk in the consequences of our sin sometimes. But Lord, I do trust in you. H- have you experienced that that same forgiveness from God? That there are things that 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 burden all of us. There there are heart issues that each and every one of us carry. But but have you allowed yourself to 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 be free and, and opened up your heart to the Lord? Opened up your heart to others. Confessed your sin before God. Confessed your sin before others, so that you can feel the freedom that comes from forgiveness, the, the forgiveness of the Lord. I, I, would, I would encourage you today, if there are things that are hidden in your heart, if there are things that, that you are struggling with today, go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Lord, I know that you are the only one who can save, and I need to, to experience that salvation. David was God's man, but David still sinned. Even if we're part of God's family, we're still going to be tempted to, to fall into sin, to, to, to be, be captured and trapped by the temptations that are all around us. One of the things that got in David's way is David was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. He let the distractions of this world take over, and he was not focused on what he was supposed to be doing as king, as God's man. There are so many distractions out there that want to take our time and our energy and, and our resources and, and, and whatever it may be. There, there, there are tons of things out there that want to destroy what God is trying to build in our lives. Do you recognize that? Do you, do you, do you notice those? Do you have your eye on them? Not, not so that you will stumble into them, but so you recognize, no, this is a point. This is a point of temptation in my life. This is a point of struggle in my life. And, and Lord, I need you to help me take care of this. God, David could have been on the roof and he could have seen this beautiful woman and he could have said, Lord, my, my eyes, my mind, my thoughts are going nuts. They're going in the wrong direction. Lord, can you help me in this situation? And he could have turned around and, and walked away. But he didn't. He didn't seek the Lord. He didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. He didn't seek the help from the Lord and he fell in and he committed this, this, this um, egregious sin. Well, we're all like David, and we all need to go before the Lord and confess our sins. And the great thing is the Lord is the same back in David's day, and he's the same today. And he is waiting there. He says, yes, 
yes, I want to have a pure relationship. I want to have a, a clean relationship with you. And I, I am willing to forgive your sins as well. Have you gone to the Lord and asked for his forgiveness? Have you gone to the Lord and asked for his redemption? Have you gone to the Lord and asked for his salvation? I encourage you to do that today. Lord God, we come to you because you are the great God. You are a great redeemer. You are a friend. You are a God and you are a friend. And, and you created us to be in relationship with you. But Lord, we, we struggle and we sin and we fall into temptation and, and, and we mess up and, and we need to come back to you. And so Lord, if there are things today that are, that are in my heart, that are in others' hearts that are getting in the way of our relationship with you, Lord, we confess that before you. Today, we ask that you would give us a clean heart, a pure heart, a heart that is drawn to you. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins. We come because of Jesus, Jesus, the one who, who went to the cross for those sins, the one who has offered us salvation. We come because of Jesus. In your name we pray.